0: Hi, it's Zaki. In this episode, we wanted to seek out a voice from the Palestinian Bedouin community. We sat down with Auda Hathalin, a Palestinian Bedouin from the village of Umar Khail in South Hebron. We discussed the history of his village, what life is like there, and many of the challenges that he and the community face there, as well as that community's hopes for the future.
1: You're listening to
0: Israel Underground Whether you consider it a part of Israel or a neighbor, the West Bank is an area with many inhabitants of different backgrounds whose experiences are analyzed and argued about by millions, although lived by much fewer. The West Bank has many settlements, both Jewish and Palestinian, with neighboring areas existing under different jurisdictions. The area, its ever-changing governance, and its residents are all very controversial topics that come up when people discuss Israel at large. All decisions made there are under strict scrutiny of the public, but oftentimes it's the dialogue of the outsiders, ourselves included, and not of the residents themselves that captures the spotlight. Without discussing what could or should be, as that's a bit above our pay grade, today we wanted to hear more about life in the West Bank, specifically from someone whose voice in Israel is more limited. Auda Hathalin is a young resident of the village of Um al in the southern Hebron Hills in the West Bank. The village is quite small, a little more than a hundred people live there. Most of the residents of Umm al are Bedouin refugees. As a result of Israeli licensing and zoning regulations, there have been several mass home demolitions in this village over the years. We asked Auda if he'd be willing to share a bit more about Umm al and his life there, so that we could all gain a better understanding of life in one of these much-discussed settlements of the West Bank. Hi Auda. thanks for joining us. Um, First and foremost, who are you? What do you do, and where are you from?
1: My name is Auda Hadalin, 25 years old. I'm uh, from Omar Khair village, South Hebron uh, I'm a co-founder at the Shepherd Collective. I'm an English teacher, and I'm one of the people you know, like, who represent Omar Khair village.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about Omar Khair's history?
1: If I'm gonna talk about Omar Khair, you know, like. Uh, it's, it's really long, long story. So I will, I will try, you know, to let you know exactly all the story really quick way. We are refugees. Uh, we were, we were living in, in Arad, Arad south of Israel now. We were living there. And when the catastrophe took a place in Nakba, we the Palestinians say in Nakba, when the catastrophe took a place, so we transferred from our land there. We came here the end of 1948, when we got here to the south, south of Hebron Hills, we bought this land from a people from one of the Palestinian cities, the people who bought the land, our ancestors, they were really intelligent. Why? Because they got papers to prove that the land became ours. Then we lived here our normal Bedouin life from 1948 up to 1982. And what happened in 1982, the disaster started or like a new catastrophe took place when the Israeli authority decided to create an Israeli settlement exactly on our land here. So, so everything, started as, everything started as a military checkpoint, but that military checkpoint expanded step by step, year by year until today. And today it's one of the biggest settlements in South Hebron Hills. So what, what did they do? They confiscated 54% from our land. This This is first. Second, they told the people, you are not allowed to get electricity. Third, they told the people also, and you know, by force, they prevented the people to get water. And fourth, and it's the most awful thing, they told us, or like this time, they didn't say anything. They started to do actions. They started to do destroy our houses. You can see the demolition processes. It started in Umar Khair 2007, and from 2007 up to 2020, every year we face at least one, of the, one, one demolition of process. If it's not a demolition of process, it's a demolition order. If it's not a demolition order, it's a stop working order. So these are like the main four problems. And if I'm gonna add something, it will tell you the settler's attacks.
0: Mm-hmm it sounds like a very difficult
1: way to live yeah it's it's you know like the word difficult it's not enough honestly the way they the way they deal with the people here uh, it's something unbelievable when they started to push us again from our land here and when they prevented us to get water electricity and when they started to destroy our houses we complained we did everything we can do, we went to the court, to the Israeli Supreme Court, High Court. And we told them, okay, look to the papers. We have all the papers. We have everything. Everything which you prove that this land is ours. As they do all the time, they told us, oh, that's fine. That's fine. This is your land and you are honest, but you will not live in your land anymore, or you will not build, you will not get water, you will not get electricity. And all of this because security reasons, security reasons. This is the sentence all the time they mention. Yeah, because you are close to the settlement, you will not get all these safes. But okay, like, it doesn't make sense because we are here before the settlements, like around 30 years before them.
0: Right, there's, there's a lack of, uh, of empathy there.
1: Yeah, because they are stronger, you know, like they will, they will, they will do, like they will use their force to let you do whatever they want.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I want to ask you a little bit, and I, I think we're going to expand on, you know, a lot of the things that you just mentioned as we go through this interview. But first things first, I kind of want to get an idea of the community um, in Umar Khair and kind of, you know, the, the people who live there.
1: Yeah, sure. The community of Umar Khair, we are around 170 people, 170 people, more than 68 children. Uh, The people who live here, they are Bedouins and uh, they live in in really simple houses, small houses, most of them tents, some of them, you know, like uh, some caravans, there is no any house with a block or concrete or like whatever. The people here, they are educated people, the percentage of educated people here, more than 96%. We have engineers, we have nurses, we have teachers, Mm -hmm. we have like... Everything you can say the people here, uh, the people here, they get, you know, like their incomes from three main ways. Some of them, you know, like from the animals and from the agricultural things. Even it's, it's really hard because all the time, you know, like the security of the settlements, follow the shepherds, you know, like prevent them to go to the fields and about also the agriculture. We are really facing hard problems with the water. So anyway, some some of the people get their incomes from agricultural things and shepherding. And also some people are getting their incomes from their jobs. You know, some people are employee. And the rest of the people, you know, like they are workers in in many different places. Yeah, but the highest percentage of the people here, they are getting their incomes from the animal issue and, you know, the agricultural things. Uh, The people here, they understand everything is going. But in the same time, they are really simple people, ask about simple rights. They welcome anyone here. They all the time try to live in peace and justice. And yeah, like really quick, this is is how the life looks here.
0: I see. And you mentioned earlier that um, Umar al-Khayr is a Bedouin town, is that correct?
1: It's a Bedouin community,
0: right. Community, okay. And so may I ask, are you
1: also, do you consider yourself a Bedouin? Yeah, we are Bedouins, but we are Palestinians. We are Palestinians before, before like, to be Bedouins.
0: I see. Okay, so there's kind of a, uh, an order of, of identity there. So I, I want to ask you, you mentioned kind of the the infrastructure of Umar Khayyul. Everybody's living in tents. There's no real um, permanent structures because of the difficulty, I guess, to, to build um, in a place where so often the buildings are, are being torn down. How does the way Umar al-Khayr is built compare to other villages in the area? Is the infrastructure that you find in Umar al-Khayr similar to other Bedouin communities?
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's not common. It's not common. Because, you know, like in, in the West Bank, there's Bedouins, you know, like east of Jerusalem, in Khan al-Ahmar, for example. And there are, there are also some Bedouins in, in Jericho, some Bedouins also in Masafriyatta. Most of the Bedouins, you know, like, they can build, they can get water, they can get electricity, or they already got something called uh, master plan. Master plan, like when you, when you can build in your land, but not all of your land. So the people here in Omar al-Khair, you know, like, they don't have any kind of master plan. And the situation here is really unique is really unique and they will say something and they mean it the hardest situation or the hardest situation in any village in all of the south it's umakhir it's Umachir. i see it's doesn't it doesn't look like any other villages mm-hmm. okay
0: so let's uh let's kind of dig into that um, infrastructure issue you mentioned that you know in umakhir there's a lack of clean water can you tell me a little bit more about that situation what's what is your village's water source and what's stopping it from being clean?
1: The people here, you know, get water from Makarot, if you hear about Makarot. So this means they're supposed to get water from the line, from the main line, which, which is coming to the, to the settlements. But the issue that they control the water network. So they told the people, you only can get water seven hours per week. And it's totally not enough seven hours per week and all of them in one day Wednesday night. We tried to dig a well for example to, to to like get the water from the river, or whatever. They prevented us and they confiscated the tool and we paid a fine for working to get to to make you know like a water system or a water a water well. If if we told them, okay, give us every day one hour, that's fine for us. Because the only the only thing which we have the only thing which we have to collect the water is, is the small tanks. In one hour, we can fill all the tanks. But how come, like, you give me seven hours, all of them in one night? So it means that I will not get, you know, like, six hours. Six hours, they will they will be out. I'm not going to get anything from them. So also one hour, one hour per week, it's totally not enough. Like, we have animals, we have agriculture, we need water for the houses, washing, cleaning, uh showers whatever so it's totally not enough we are trying to uh, apply for the civil administration to l- let us get more water but you know like we already tried before but we will not stop يعني, because we don't want to blame ourselves one day that we stop we will still we will keep trying until inshallah they will they will be fair with us
0: i see Okay, was, was there, this may be a, a difficult question. What do you do if you just run out of water in the middle of the week? What's the, is there a
1: backup plan in, in that sense or? Yeah, we, 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 we have a plan, plan B, which is already <laughs> became plan A, honestly. We all the time buy water from other places. The small tank cost us 130 shekel, the big one cost us you know like 250 so we all the time buy the water from other places especially in the summer in the summer every day every day every day every family buy water
0: i see and this is all all the money that you're making is coming from from the agriculture that that you're doing
1: the families the families will pay this my if my family need water so we will do whatever we can to pay that money to get water there's no other option there's no other option you will find yourself you have only one option and you have to do it otherwise you will stay without water
0: mhm and you mentioned that water isn't the only problem in your in your village as we understand the electrical capabilities are also very lacking what's the situation there
1: Omar Khair in the south it's a small village in the south exactly at the west of Omar Khair there's the Israeli settlement exactly at the east of Omar Khair there is chicken farms for for the settlements so could you imagine that the that the electricity is passing over Omar from the settlement to the chicken farms. So the chicken farms have electricity 24 hours. And if there's a problem, like there's many generators immediately will work. But here in Omar they prevented the people to get electricity. So the people here, they only, like we only have solar panels. And we all know solar panel system uh, depends on sun. If there's no sun, especially in the winter, This means that you will stay many nights without electricity. And we all the time, you know, like around five months or six months, every year, we all the time, you know, just cut off everything from the early morning or turn off everything from the early morning until late at night, like 10 or 9, just to keep some electricity for the lights and, you know, for for like, for the babies, for the old people so we all the time you know like facing like in the summer we are facing a problem for the water because it's hot everything needs water more and in the winter it's the electricity problem it's the electricity problem in addition of the water problem all the time all the time you know it's like two problems no electricity in the winter no water in the summer and i'm, I'm talking with you now i'm talking with you now I'm from Umakhir, and I'm in Umakhir. I'm just looking to the settlement. I'm just looking now to the settlement. The settlement. There is many lights. There is many big lights. Even like for the street, every five meters there is a light. But here in Umakhir, one, two, three.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and and you said that you know. When you were describing that the electricity passes directly over your village and they've not allowed you to kind of tap into that electricity, this is even in exchange for money. They're not willing to allow Umalhil to to join
1: this electrical grid. No, 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 no. If 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 we if we pay them millions, they will not. I see. They will not. I will easily, bro. It's 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 kind of you know like it's easy to say. They will not give us anything because they want us to leave. Yeah, if they, if they give us electricity, this means that our life will be easier. If they give us water, this means that our life will be easier. If they will not destroy our houses, this means that our, li- our life will be easier. They want to put the people of Ummah under pressure. So they will not find anything and then they will leave.
0: I see. Okay. So let's speak a little bit more about about the buildings. You mentioned that since 2007, there have been many home demolitions. You said at least once every year. Can you tell me a little bit more about about that, what's going on there?
1: The demolition, it's it's the hardest thing. It's the worst thing I have ever lived. Uh, It's something, you know, like even the words are not enough to describe. Yeah, like when they come early morning and destroy your house in the middle of, like in front of your eyes and you, you, you cannot do anything. If, you, if, you, if you're gonna shout, they will take you. They will, like, just immediately arrest you, put you in the jail for weeks until you pay a fine and you you, you you'll be back for your family. 99% of the houses here in Umar Khair have a demolition order now. More than 89% of them got destroyed before. Also, many, many houses destroyed twice, three times, four times. My mom's house got destroyed three times. My oldest brother' house got destroyed five five times. My uh, uh, my next brother his, his house got destroyed four times. So all the time you 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 find yourself that you don't know if you are gonna sleep in your house again or not. The first demolition process happened here in two thousand seven, and then they kept going. Every year there is a demolition process and something, you know, like when I tell you demolition process, it's not about for me and for all of the people in Omar Khair, it's not about destroying the house. It's not about destroying the structure, even, even though it's something unbelievable, something insane. But the point is, it's about the feeling. It's exactly about the feeling. How the children will feel, what the old people will do here, here, here in Omar Khair, even like we are in 2020, but here in al Khair, the old people don't have any kind of hope, they just waiting the end, they just waiting, you know, like, to die and to be under the ground, honestly. And yeah, the guys have a little bit hope, but the children, the children, 54% from our children, see nightmares from the demolition. Now I'm talking with you, if, if like, if a truck now, or a bulldozer will enter the village, even though a Palestinian one, you will find, All the children are running away to disappear. All the children running away to disappear. And also when they come to destroy the house, the way they deal with the people, the way they deal with the women, the way they deal with the children, with all people, how aggressive they are. It's also something, you know, like, I don't know, like how to describe, but they treat us here. They deal with us here, like, the animals like how they push the animals so they don't have any kind of mercy so uh, it's it's the hardest thing and they mentioned to you in the beginning it's the worst thing I have lived before
0: I imagine so that's that's um, that's quite a lot so building off of that idea I understand that there's not a great feeling of hope uh, in your village but I wanted to ask can you describe? Are there any kind of um, expectations or or you know hopes for a a better future or any kind of future plans?
1: Yeah, you know, like it's it's one of the hardest questions. Uh, I'm I'm one of the guys in Khair. I told you before, like I'm twenty five years old, but I already forget all my personal dreams just to try to achieve some of some of the 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 the, the drink. Ten years ago, Khair was not known. Just a few people know about Omar Khair. when we made really good connections, strong relationships with the people I mean like the internationals or like the people who are in the USA it gave us hope even if it's not that big but it gave us hope a little bit hope. Uh, but my ex- ex- expectation to the future wallah, with with these with these political governments who care only about you know like increasing the conflict, care about getting more money. Uh, I think it's, it's really, really scary future. It's really scary future, but we will do whatever we can for the next generation, for our children, to let them, you know, like stay in the land, let them get whatever they want, live really safe life, uh, try to offer them whatever we can. And yeah, we all the time hope, especially the guys here. Inshallah, like in the future, we will get justice, we will live in peace, and yeah, like, together we, we all will act for justice.
0: I really appreciate you sharing, you know, all of this this kind of hard and, and really um, impactful information about your village. But I also want to understand a little bit more about yourself and your life. So, you know, I understand that you attended university. Are you still
1: studying? No, man, I, I graduated, and yeah, I'm an English teacher now in Omar Khair. Yeah, the point is here, you know, like if you want to study, get a certificate or whatever, you will, you will also suffer a lot. Yeah, like I studied the first 12th up to 12th grade here, like in a village close to Omaha. Then if you want to complete your secondary degree, this means that you have to leave to the city. Yatta, and this is what I did. And then for the university degree, you have to leave to study in Hebron University, and this is what I did. It's really hard to go from to go from Umar Khair, so far in the south to Hebron every day to study. So it's also cost you know like a lot of money, take more time. I already graduated 2017. I started a small guest house here in Umar Khair. This year I became an an, an English teacher with the Ministry of Education, Palestinian Ministry of Education. And yeah, Inshallah, we're looking for the future to be good. And Inshallah, like I will get a chance one day to. Uh, get a master's degree, it's kind of a dream for me to, to uh, finish my, uh, my uh, studying.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, Auda, uh, I want to thank you for, for sharing your story. Is there, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience about your village or your life here?
1: I'm going to ask the people for one thing. If they're going to understand everything by themselves, they, they should, you know, and they welcome here. They welcome here to visit Omar Khair. Stay with us here, even like a few hours or stay a night if they want, and they will understand everything. They will understand everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm just telling everyone who will hear this, don't let anyone, anyone control your eyes or like let you see whatever they want. Everything in the media is fake. I mean it, everything in the media is fake. If you're gonna understand everything, just come for a visit or a tour here, and yeah, you will you will talk with the people, you will see the situation, you will understand everything, and also, uh, I'm sure you will you will be so happy to 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 be with the uh, with uh, to be with the Palestinian people. In a Bedouin community
0: well I'm sure that uh, you know many many of our listeners would, would uh, love to take you up on that Auda I, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking to us about this yeah for those of you listening go uh, you know do your research check it out and uh, pay him a visit Thanks man and also uh, thanks friends as Auda mentioned the media representation is not always accurate and that's why it was so important for us to hear from somebody themselves living in the village. Regardless, Auda's Story raises many questions about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and life in the West Bank, but we think the bottom line is clear. There are a lot of problems here that need to be discussed, and it's best to discuss them with the people who are experiencing them. Thanks for listening. We're excited to keep the show going. If you have any suggestions or topics or people whose voices should be heard, drop us a line. You can send us a message on anchor.fm Israel underground.
1: Israel Underground is written and produced by Eden and Zaki Farber-Hemeson. All additional audio is used under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening!